to After the Bell with your host, Laura. If you like what you hear today, please rate and review kindly. This show is a series of conversations with educators and learners to try and deconstruct some of the stereotypes around education. If you'd like to know more about me, please visit my Instagram page at EducatingLaura. Thanks so much for joining me today. I have a really exciting conversation for you today with Roxy. Roxy is a secondary teacher from London and she talks about the students that she teaches, the subject of religious education, which is not necessarily about the belief in religion, more so about the study of religion, which I think is really interesting. She is brutally honest about the way that school is currently in London because pretty much the entire country is locked down and schools are still in operation. So obviously there is a bit of angst around that right now because of COVID and and what's going on in the UK at the moment. Before I get into this episode, I thought I would tell you about my weekend. So I don't know if you've ever had these kinds of weekends that are really dumb. So today I went to make a smoothie and we have a Thermomix and that's, I don't have a blender. And I was looking for the lid of the Thermomix so that obviously as I blend something the smoothie doesn't come out the top. And I'm looking around, looking in the dishwasher. I've already put everything in for the smoothie and I couldn't find it. I thought oh, I must have put it in a stupid place, like in a drawer somewhere. And so I put a plate on top of the hole so that the smoothie didn't spray around my kitchen. And the minute that I turn it on, I hear this loud crunching because someone, and at this point I'm not entirely sure that it wasn't me because it's December and everybody knows what de- December's like trying to organize everything. And I feel like maybe I'm a bit absent-minded, but I completely ripped to shreds the lid of my Thermomix. So that's how my day started. And it ended with me in all goodwill thinking it was 30 degrees here today. So I thought I'd go and get the kids some frozen yogurt. So I go over to the frozen yogurt store and I needed to get some medicine from the pharmacy. And there's a pharmacy two doors down. So I quickly park, go to the pharmacy. Pharmacy's closed. I'm like, oh, that's frustrating. There's one on the other side of the road. So I'll quickly get my frozen yogurts and then head over the other side of the road. Well, of course, I do that. It's 30 degrees, as I said. And as I park at the other chemist, I go in. They're doing ear piercings. And the pharmacist is serving one person who apparently has 125,000 questions, which is fine. And the other person is doing ear piercing. And I'm not kidding you. I waited for about 10 minutes. And I'm like, I've got frozen yogurts in the car that are going to just be some slop. So in the end, I put the medicine back on the shelf. I got to the car. And I drove home. And I did have incredibly non-frozen yogurts by the time I got home. And as I get out of the car, I pick up the yogurts. And my bag that's on my shoulder was like upside down I don't even know how that happened like my actual bag as I put it over my shoulder wasn't the right way up so everything fell out of my bag and in the by doing that something fell out of my bag into one of the frozen yogurts flipped it out of my hand and it ended up face down on the floor so I'm just done with today you know hey have those days and you just kind of over it so that's my day I do acknowledge all of the first world problems in that diatribe from Thermomixes to frozen yogurts but it has been just a silly day. Anyway 
I will hand over to something that is not very silly, in fact, that is incredibly insightful, and that is my conversation with Roxy. Hey, Roxy, how are you? I'm good. How are you? Good, thank you. I thought I'd ask you the question, why you decided to become a teacher? Yeah, it's a bit of a, a, bit of a long one, that one. I, I didn't really have it in mind from when I was really young. I went to university and I was still a bit unsure about what I wanted to do. So I kind of wanted to go into charity sector work. But when it kind of got to my last year of uni, I was like, mm, I don't know, the charity sector, like nothing really interested me like loads that I kind of wanted to go into it. So um, one of my friends at university, she was like, oh, you know what, I might just, I might just try and kind of go into schools not like actually going into teacher training straight away and I was like actually yeah that sounds fun like I I, I done a lot of charity work with like children I thought actually yeah that sounds like something I would be quite interested in so I went and worked in a school for a, a year after I completed my degree and literally I think I was maybe a couple of weeks in and I was like yeah I'm gonna apply to be a teacher and uh, I applied for my like training, which I'd done the year after. I, I liked working with young people. And when I worked in a secondary school, I thought, yeah, this is definitely the age for me. I didn't really want to work with kind of really young children. I wanted to kind of work with teenagers and up. Yeah. And so what was the degree you originally did that you thought would take you into the charity sector? So the degree I done was social anthropology. So it's basically the study of humans and I was really interested in like sociology, psychology and it kind of combined everything together. During my degree I done like a, a placement in Peru. I lived in Peru for wow. well, three months the first time and then I went back two years later to write my dissertation and yeah so I worked in orphanages while I was there and I actually worked in a secondary school as well at one point which was really random actually. So, yeah, my my degree was kind of very focused on just human beings in general. But most people that do that degree kind of either go into like research into kind of small communities or something along those lines, which I would have loved to have done. But I wanted to kind of start my career and get something going. And that was more just an extension of my degree rather than actually kind of earning money, going into a job etc yeah. so the only other kind of thing was like developmental charity work um, which a couple of my uni friends went into and then I kind of was just like no that I just don't know charities are a little bit corrupt etc and I was just a bit like oh I don't know I'm not really sure where I sit in in terms of charity work so I guess being a teacher is a type of charity <laughs> oh 100% it is and it's so interesting you say about that idea of corruption in charity because I have only just opened my eyes to this this year, Roxy, because in Australia we've had, well, earlier the year we this year we had the huge bushfires. Of course, yeah. And I was really big on to, you know, where am I? I really want to put my money somewhere. I really want to look into donation and all of that. And it started to become really clear that a lot of the money wasn't going where I thought it was going exactly. and I had no idea. And so you found this out as part of your course or you just knew about this? Like- uh, yeah, so through working with charities, like when I worked in Peru, mm-hmm. yeah, it was pretty clear that a lot of the money doesn't go to where it's supposed to go and that when you're working for a charity, 
course you get your wage etc but like the money that people are giving unless you specifically say you want it to go somewhere which a lot of people don't they just you know give money like however much a month to a charity or one-off donation then they unless you say exactly where you want it to go which is quite rare for somebody to do then they can use it for whatever they like so it can it can be a little bit dodgy in terms of in terms of that which is a massive shame because obviously a lot of people want to help by giving to charity and I would say actually like I think what I realized was I wanted to help through giving my time and energy rather than through like giving money and even during like my work at school like I still kind of work with alongside charities like I've done like food bank donations things like that so rather than kind of just giving money I kind of concentrate on what else um, can be given that I know is you know literally going to help rather than just the money side of things. Do you have any advice to somebody like me who didn't realize how the charity system worked? If I wanted to do something what is some of the advice you would give in terms of ensuring either my money is going somewhere or perhaps an alternative thing that I could do to help? When you donate money, you can actually specifically say where you want it to go to. So, like, let's say, I don't know, you were donating to a children's charity or something like that. You you can literally say to them, I would like this to go to this area of the charity because, obviously, they have lots of different areas that they use it for because they can use it for things like, I don't know, media. Like, there's lots yeah. of things that they can use it for. So you can be very specific when you're giving money to charity, which is which is probably the best thing to do if you want to know where your money is going. Other yep. than that, I would say, like, obviously you can give physical things. Like, I would say at the moment, um, especially with the pandemic, um, I've been thinking a lot about food banks and, and yeah. how we can help at school. And so I'm head of year 11, which is, you know, they're 15, 16 years old. They totally understand. And some of them probably don't have enough food at home um, themselves. Mm-hmm specifically saying where you want your money to go or trying to help in a more kind of in a sense of you're physically helping or you're trying to give physical donations Mm. yeah thank you yeah um moving back to the teaching was there any kind of teacher or role model that you looked at as somebody you would like to be as a teacher or who taught you a lot in terms of teaching? Um, yeah, so I, I went into specifically, I'm a, a RE specialist, a religious education specialist. And I did, yeah, I really, really loved my RE teacher at school. Um, he he was really, really old. Like, I mean, I'm sure he's probably dead now. But um, he was really okay. old when I was in school. He used to tell RE through narrative, so like through a story, which was so much more interesting to me than any other kind of way I think like when you can hear something through a narrative like you imagine it and and, you know it's very much led into what I'm like now as a teacher I definitely like to tell tell a story through RE and I also teach history and geography as well so I can tell a story through those as well like we're studying the Tudors at the moment for example in in year eight history and I literally, you know, tell them stories about Elizabeth I or Henry VIII or whoever else. And so, yeah, like that teacher specifically had an impact on me. And then there was another teacher when I was in college. So when I was 18, he was the one that actually advised me to do my degree. He was my psychology teacher. 
Um, and he was really like young and like he must have just been qualified. He was pretty like pretty young, pretty kind of with the, you know, like he must have been in his early 20s. Yeah, definitely. Like, when I look back and he was just a really kind of like nice person and really took the time to actually talk to us and kind of really get to know us which again really leads into what I try and do now as well like get to know the students like not I guess I would say I try to be as warm as possible I mean I'm very strict but I'm warm in terms of like I will talk to them I will have a chat with them like I will try and get to know things about them and actually have um, a relationship with students so yeah. You made the comment, so you want to storytell and create imagery and draw people in or draw your students into the curriculum as well as getting to know them, forming relationships. But you did make the comment very clear that you are strict. So how does that play out for you, that element of being strict? Or how important is that to you? I would say I try to be firm but fair. Yeah, yeah. So, like, the, the students 100% know when they've crossed, like crossed the line with me and I – I think you have to be somewhat firm in the, especially, you know, for the ages that I teach. For the younger year groups, this probably wouldn't be such the case, um, although I don't know, because they, obviously, they're growing up, they're learning kind of new things, they're they're developing their morals, etc. And they need to know when a teacher is kind of, you know, needing to teach. Or if they're willing to kind of have a conversation with you, then that's fine. Like, I wouldn't say I'm I'm cold and harsh, but I would say I'm firm there. And I think it's really, really important that the students know that, you know, we're there to learn. Like, we're definitely there to be in the classroom and learn. But at the same time, I don't want them to think that I'm unapproachable or impersonable. Like, that's not the vibe that I want them to get. But I do want them to know that, you know, when you step into my classroom, this is time to like get down to learning now we're not going to be like messing about or yeah. you know kind of doing whatever you want to do for an hour and like that's that's just not how it's going to be in my classroom I think through the years I have definitely learned to be more flexible um mm-hmm. I think yep. when when I was a younger teacher I definitely maybe tried to go in too strict in some classes and then realized actually Yes, you can be firm, and you can, but you can also be fair, and you can also be very personable and warm. You don't have to be a cold kind of personality to um, make sure that everybody does the work. And actually, to be quite honest with you, if you are like that, a lot of the time they kind of rebel within the classroom. Yeah, um, and I, I see it happen now, even with really experienced teachers. They go in so so strict, and they'll be like, oh, you know. I don't know if you say one word I'll give you an hour detention or something like that and it's like they haven't really got a chance to even you know try to get it right and so I kind of I'm definitely for the giving them a chance to try and get it right and and definitely you know if it's a new class I've never met before you know I do give them a good few chances to be like listen like this is what I want in my classroom this is what I expect I mean I work for a school that is pretty I would say pretty hot on their behavior anyway so like I would say they're pretty strict regardless of me being that way but you know I've worked in a school where the the rules were pretty much non-existent and I I still set my own expectations for the classroom but yeah I would say I'm, I, yeah, I would say I would call myself strict, but definitely fair. 
I totally understand. And you know, it's so funny. When I first started teaching, I was so scared because I was 23, five foot four, you know, walking into a classroom. I felt as though I had to create a persona almost to enable myself to be taken seriously. And in fact, that was probably more laughable than just being myself. I should have just been myself from the beginning, but you know, I had to live and learn that experience, I think. Yeah, I still get nervous teaching classes. Mm. Are really Me too. Naughty or like really like boisterous. And like, I've just got this year 10 class, which are there's 31 of them, and we're in a small room. And I teach them. Wow. I teach them at the end of the day between, uh, I think it's like three and four. Like, we, I, I teach them, and it's like, it's, I still like get nervous going into their lesson thinking, like, oh my God, you know what's going to happen in this lesson. Yeah, I, I, I completely get it. I've been teaching a long time now, but I still get nervous. I still, you know, but the the way with them and with all my classes, I just like consistency for me is the key. Yeah. So like I am so consistent with what I do that they know, you know, okay, if I've said to you like that's one warning, they know the second warning, the third warning is a detention regardless of what they're going to say to me or what they're going to do. So, so they, they, it's like... The expectation is there, the consistency is there. Yeah. We're there to do what we're going to do. But yeah, I feel, you know, I agree with you. Like, obviously, when I was a younger teacher, I don't know what I t- was trying to do. You know, tr- I tried out lots of different <laughs> things. And, you know, and that, when yeah. I was training, they they used to say to me, like, oh, you need to try out, you know, you need to try out lots of different things. And when I talk to trainee teachers now or, or newly qualified teachers, I'm just like, listen, you need to find what works best for you. Because what works for me might not work for you. And yep. when like a newly qualified teacher came and observed me the other day and they were like, oh, you know, your class, they were just, they were really, really well behaved. And I said, yeah, but I've been working at the school for seven years. Like they yes. know me so well. They know exactly what to expect. I was like, but you're new to them. So you need to kind of find your, what works best for you really, which is hard because obviously people want to be told I don't know, you need to do this or you need to do this. But actually, it just comes with time and trying out new things and seeing what works. What works for you yeah. won't work for somebody and else. And I think what so, is yeah. natural for your own personality too, because I think that sometimes I would have this great idea, then I'd forget because it wasn't a very natural thing to me. It was somebody else that somebody had given me and then I'd forget a step. <laughs> I'd forget the way that it was supposed to run and yeah. in the end that just made it even more comical. So I was like, I'm like you though. I like to give chances and I like to progress. So it's never going to be the worst situation first. It's always going to be, okay, you know, we're we're heading towards there. If you keep going, this is where it's going to head. And as you say, consistency makes the most sense to me too. Yeah. And and also them knowing as well, like a lot of the time, because I'm ahead of year as well, and I have to deal with a lot of, you know, other teachers, you know, not being able to have a good relationship with students or whatever else. And some of the time students are like, oh, miss, but they just didn't give me a chance or they didn't tell me I had a warning. Yeah. They didn't tell me I was, you know, and I'm like, yeah, okay, right. So now we need to get back to the kind of like root of the problem is actually, you know, the teacher needs to be clearer with, with their instructions and clearer with their, you know, kind of what's going to happen next. Like you said, you know, okay, actually, you know what, we're getting towards that direction. Just so yes. you know, like, this, is, this is what, but let's lay it out for you yeah. right now. Um, and I'm not saying teachers fault but like I think a lot of the time teachers forget they just maybe get angry in the moment obviously I've done that before and you just you say something and then you're like why did I say that like I've just told them but well and also too 
you've got to follow yeah. up, right? You say one word and you've got an hour detention. I don't want to do an hour detention. <laughs> exactly. So I just think, like, for me, like, I really, I, I actually don't give out detention pretty much ever. That is just yeah. like, you got to do it. A threat, like the kids, like, I think there's just a threat yeah. there. But I actually personally don't ever give out detention because I, we never get to that point because they know they know that actually you know what this is going to come this is actually going to follow through and mm-hmm. in the times where I have had to follow through yeah I will of course I will but yeah I think yeah. it's more that yeah. just so they know what's going to happen next just for them really. Have you ever had to have those conversations where you've had to go to the teacher and say actually this is the situation like they perhaps needed more notification or anything or you've not sort of had those conversations oh yeah, yeah I've had those conversations yeah in fact there's something going on right now where I'm I'm kind of like I've left to go into kind of our week holiday and I'm already thinking okay tomorrow when I go back I need to sort the situation out because there's a student right. student that never ever gets sent out of class like never has caused an issue you know he's 16 years old he's gone through five years of school yet with, yeah. with his current math teacher he just something there's something there that's clearly bothering him and bothering also the teacher and so yeah yeah, I'm gonna have to definitely I've already spoken to the teacher and said listen look you know I'm not saying it's your fault but I think we need to have a conversation the three of us and try and get to the bottom of why there's this kind of like lack of communication between everybody um, what, what is actually yes. going on, you know? And she's actually said to me, you know, look, you know, he's done this and he's done this. I'm saying, look, that's fine. I'm not debating whether he's done the wrong thing. And and I would never, ever, like, say, oh, okay, detention gets taken away now or something like that because I believe yeah. the student over the teacher. But I think I, I'm very much for the working on a relationship and the understanding of why somebody's doing what they're doing or why a student is doing something every single lesson like that makes that makes no sense you know there's a reason why he's doing that or she's doing that and yeah because I've been in the kind of pastoral side of things for six years now as well like I'm, I'm often well, what I call like firefighting or kind of like always trying to be yes, the, the person that's doing the reconciliations and kind of really trying to understand. And I've def- definitely come to realise that, you know, obviously the students are human beings as well. They just want to be heard. They just want to be heard. Yes. They want someone to listen to them. And actually a lot of yep. time, if you just say to them, listen, what's going on? And just literally sit there and try to understand their point of view, then you get a lot further than just saying, right, I'm going to give you detention or I'm going to do this or I'm going to do that. And just being like extremely harsh. A lot of the time, you know, there might be something going on at home, might be some, something yes. going on with that teacher or, or at school or just with their mates or whatever. Like there's so many things mm-hmm. that yeah. kind of is involved in their, just their thinking as teenagers and as we all know you know all the hormones and just being like yes. a little bit up and down yes. <laughs> <laughs> in general like just being quite hormonal like I find that a lot of the time especially with year 11s which you know 15 and 16 years old I find you know the hormones are a bit crazy so they just like sometimes they're just purely hormonal and they just get angry like all of a sudden and yeah. they're like oh I don't, I don't know why I've done that like when, when they, once they've reflected they're like I'm not really sure and I'm like listen you know this is all part and parcel of being a teenager and yeah. you know it'll pass, it'll pass you'll kind of get on with it and you know you just need to kind of learn from those 
those issues and learn how to cope in a classroom setting, out of a classroom setting, etc. That's nice that you normalise the thing because I think often there's an expectation that they are consistent. And yeah. as you say, like teenagers, my gosh, like it's such a tumultuous time for so many people, teenage years. Yeah, I think I think a lot of the time we forget, don't we? We forget we, we've moved on. Like yeah. I'm nearly 35. I'm like, yeah, you know what? I've got being a teenager was so, so long ago now. I, and But I do literally, I try and put myself in their shoes and think to myself, yeah. Like, it's hard. It's hard being a teenager, and especially during a glo- global pandemic at the moment as well, where, all, right. you know, they're, they're totally up in the air. Like, everything's up in the air. Are they going to take exams? Are they not? Are they going to, you know, are they going to be at yeah. college? Are they not? Like, a lot of the families are kind of pushing for them to, I mean, at my school, a lot of, basically, there's really, really, like, high attainment in my school. They get really good grades and stuff like that, but they really work hard for it. I mean, the amount of, especially girls at the moment, the amount of girls I'm getting like crying in my office just because they're so stressed. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, like we need to just, we need to like step back one second and we need to think to ourselves, okay, like there's so much going on. And the last thing I want you to do is just have a stress out because, you know, you think that you're going to fail your exam or something like that. The likelihood is you're not going to fail your exam. Uh, you will, you might fail if you continue to stress like this. Like we need to try yeah take yeah. a step back and like they've just had a week break and I had an email from a student last night I hadn't checked my emails a week and I had an email to say literally stressing out oh miss you know I don't know if I'm going to be able to get all of the homework you've set done and, and she's a really like studious girl yes. and I just said listen don't worry about it just get what you can on um, and I'll see you next week like it's fine don't, don't stress about it like yeah. actually you need to have a bit of rest and relaxation and just to be a teenager and like have a bit of a you know go out with your mates over half term and like you know I, I always yeah. say to them it's really hard because it's such a balance like when you're that age obviously yes. you've got these massive exams and you know that they're gonna you know inform quite a lot of your future and not everything so they're not they're not the be one end all I, I always say that to them but they are obviously important yeah yeah. And, you know, at the same time, you know, you're growing, developing, you're hormonal, like I said before, and you're kind of going yeah. through all of these other things and you hate your brothers and sisters and don't want to speak to your parents and you don't think your teachers are going to listen. I mean, there's loads of stuff going on in the head. Yeah, all the things. All the things, yeah. all the things happening. And so, yeah, like, <laughs> I, I mean, yeah, I, I wouldn't want to be a teenager again. I'll tell you that much. So it's definitely not during a global yeah, pandemic. Yeah, well. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, like they, they definitely, I feel like it's definitely the advice I would give is to, yeah, they're human beings as well and they need to be treated mm. as such. And yeah, you're right. Like we expect, sometimes we expect them to be a certain way or act a certain way or do certain things. But actually, like, why are we expecting that? You know, we, we made mistakes when we were teenagers as well. Like, no one's perfect. So, you know, at the end of the day, as long as they can kind of reflect, and think about what they've done or how they've done it or how they could be different next time, then that's all that really matters to me. And yeah, yeah I mean, this is part of the reason, like I, I really would like to go into management at one point, but I'm, I yeah. think I'm not ready yet because I feel like what, the, yeah. the higher you move up, the less you teach and the more you're kind yes. of doing management slash paperwork slash admin slash everything else. 
I completely agree. I'm exactly in the same headspace. Yeah. I love the classroom. That's my that's my greatest joy yeah. is the classroom and the students. Exactly. I completely understand that. Especially yeah. during this pandemic, I actually love when on a Wednesday I teach five lesson day. So like literally, I don't. I'm pretty much not in my office or whatever. I'm literally teaching all day, and I actually love it. I, I actually prefer it because I know no one can come and disturb me. No one can come and say to me. Yeah. You know, I know oh, can feeling. you do this? Can you do that? No, no, you can't say that to me because actually I'm just teaching the whole day, so you can't say anything, which is perfect for me. Like, <laughs> I love it. I've got, yeah, I'm like, yep, yeah, give yeah. me all the teaching. That's absolutely fine. Obviously, I'm ahead of year, so I do have that kind of, I've got, I'm a middle manager of what they, I don't know what they call it in Australia, but um, I'd be a mid. So what is, what year levels are those middle managers? So I'm ahead of year. I don't know what they would call that over yes i think yeah just we call them coordinators but i think it's the same thing but what's your middle years are they like for us at high school we have year seven and eight is junior school then year nine and ten so they're usually like 14 15 and then the senior years are year 11 and 12 and they're usually about 16 17 18 yeah so we've got year seven eight nine ten eleven in secondary school which is from the ages of 11 to 16 so that's where mm-hmm. that's what I do mostly. There is also a college at my school as well, so ages seventeen to eighteen, so before they go to university. So what's co- so tell me about college and I I hear things like GCSE in England. So how how is it work? How does it work? Yeah, so GCSEs are when they're sixteen, they take their GCSEs and they mm-hmm. will lead them into college or sixth form. Sixth form is just one that's attached to a school and Mm -hmm. that is when they're 17 18 and then they do their a levels which is to lead them into university so they have GCSEs Uh and a levels then they can go and do a degree if they want to or not but everybody in the country has to do up until 18 in education in some kind of education in England okay so it could be the a level or it could be the sixth form yeah that would get you yeah so a levels or they can also do like vocational courses or they could do apprenticeships so it's not just purely you know going to college if they don't want to do that if they don't want to do a levels because i don't know i can't remember when they changed this i think it was quite a while ago it used to be up to 16 you had to go to school but then they changed it to say no everybody has to go to school up until the age of 18 but there are different avenues within school then from 16 to 18. So it could be more like trade-based exactly. and, yeah. oh, okay, so it's not all academic. It's not all on the path to university. No, exactly. But, like, for example, my school, they only do academic-based courses. So if okay. you wanted to go and do a non-academic-based course, like a trade course or something like that, you'd have to go somewhere somewhere else. But that's fine. There's loads of places that okay. do different things. And but even if you were doing like an apprenticeship, I think technically you'd still be in education, but you'd only be in there like maybe one day a week rather than kind of five days a week. Okay. Yeah. So how long have you been teaching now? Um, <laughs> 11 years, I think. Just trying to pick. Uh, about 11 years, yeah. And how many schools have you been at? So in my training year, I was in two different schools and then I went and worked. In my newly qualified year, and I think it's called recently qualified, the second year of teaching, I was in an, okay. I was in a school in Essex, which is just outside of London, and then I moved to my current school, which I've been at for seven, going on eight years. Yeah. And yeah, so I've only worked at 
two schools, I guess, technically, four if you include my training year as well. And all sort of around the sort of London area? Uh, I've always worked in London. I did work in Essex for a couple of years, which is just on the outskirts of London. Yep. Because I grew up in London, especially East London, I always wanted to work in London because I grew up where those kids were now growing up. And it does give... I don't know, it helps out slightly. I was actually talking to a Canadian teacher recently and he was saying that's the one thing he found super difficult coming to work in London was that, one, he grew up in an extremely white area in Canada and so in London it's okay. so multicultural Like, and in my school it's like 60% Muslim, most of those are Bangladeshi you know, uh, Pakistani, and then obviously we've got we've got quite a big cohort of African, Afro-Caribbean students, and then we've got quite a lot of Eastern European students as well. So I would say, I'd done a survey the other day in a geography lesson, and I had no students that were English or of English descent in my class. Wow. So, I mean, that and that's pretty much, I, I would say we don't have many English students in the whole school. That is in the London school. So, yeah, when I was talking to this colleague, he was like, yeah, one thing I found really difficult was, one, I grew up in an extreme, he grew up in an extremely white area. So it was, mm-hmm. although he he was just like, I just feel like I can't connect as well because I just didn't grow up around the same kind of different, you know, all these different cultures and like this melting pot of cultures. Yeah. And then he said he also found it difficult because, you know, the students knew that he wasn't from London, got Canadian accent, yeah. obviously. And they kind yeah. of, I guess they, they know that you're not from around there. They know that you don't know their culture. They know all of these things. Now, me personally, like, I'm Greek Cypriot, so I'm not from their background of culture. I did grow up in the same area that they grew up. So I do know, like, yeah. you know, kind of just how things work in the area what families are like I mean I grew up with a lot of Muslim friends for example so I know what kind of like the family dynamics are like and things like that so yeah it's funny because like yeah you can kind of reminisce with them and say oh yeah do you remember this do you remember that oh do you have you ever been to this place you know and that's like when I was talking about before getting that relationship with them you know they know that I live near them as well like I I grew up near them and you know I'll tell them, you know, like, oh, you know, my Muslim friends on this or my um, English friends on that or whatever, like, just so they know. And they also treat me, I am an ethnic minority myself. They know that, like, for example, I'm first generation um, living in this country. And that's what we were talking about the other day in class. We were talking about who's first generation. And there were only, I think there was only a couple of students, maybe two students, where their parents were born in England. So we were discussing whether they would consider yeah. themselves British or not. What did they say? None of them considered themselves British. Wow. <laughs> Funnily enough. And, and even myself, like, I, I do consider myself a British Cypriot, but I, I definitely, if someone asks me where I'm from, I always say I'm from Cyprus rather than I'm from really? England, even though I was born here. Yeah. So I feel like they definitely have a lot of like kind of cultural stuff like cultural elements going on that maybe people don't understand or don't never seen before or whatever else and they definitely know when someone's from like not in the area not that they treat them differently but they just know 
that you haven't grown up from there or you haven't and that gives me a hook when it comes to kind of yeah. having a relationship with students knowing exactly what they went through I mean I grew up really deprived for example as well like I, and I work in a really deprived area and so you know I, I, I grew up my parents didn't have money and stuff like that and I remember lots of different things growing up that they probably experiencing themselves so yeah like all of those things it definitely helps with me understanding where they're coming from or why they're yeah. doing the things they're doing can't see myself ever working in kind of like I don't know middle England or something like that like I would always be somewhere in and around London for sure. So what is middle England like in comparison to London and why is it different and why would you not see yourself um, there? One is extremely white so I, I often say to the kids okay oh, you know, have you ever been outside of London before? Because a lot of them haven't. Like, a lot of them do just kind of stay in their little, okay. like, hub of the area, especially because they've got all their, like, shops okay. that kind of sell their food and things like that, and, and they speak their language and whatever else. Yeah, culturally, culturally. it's great for them in terms of that. Yeah. And so, yeah, like, I, when I say to them, oh, have you been outside of London? Like, I went to... um recently I don't think I saw one person of any kind of ethnic minority or anything in Cornwall the whole four days I was there so it's like quite south that's quite south yeah so I would just say like once you come out of London unless you're in a big city you you'd probably find quite a lot of like I don't know if I went to Birmingham then it'd be quite multicultural it's quite a big city but if it's like just you know a normal town or whatever in England it's not going to be as multicultural and that's one of the things I absolutely love about working in London is that there's just so many different cultures that's probably stemming back to my degree like I love learning about people I love learning about places and and just I've traveled a lot and I just like to learn about everyone's culture and and just kind of things that they do why they do them food they eat where they go well, they celebrate like all of these things that fascinates yeah. me yeah. um and it's probably why i love teaching re as well because it's all about other cultures other people yeah and why they do things that they do i actually did a semester at keel university which is up near manchester mm-hmm. and i remember sitting there in the first tutorial for each subject and i would just sit and wait to see how everybody spoke because everybody you couldn't tell you couldn't tell no matter no matter what they looked like you couldn't tell what kind of accent they would have whether they were English at all it was fascinating to me because in Australia we all sound pretty much the same there's a couple of little things you know that you can sort of and it's more it's more about the language than the accent you'd think oh we probably wouldn't use that language in certain areas but the accent's very similar but I found that so fascinating is sitting in a room and you could not have any assumption about where anybody was from, if they were English, if they were from northern UK, southern. It was crazy. So I found that so interesting. Yeah, because we've got a lot of immigration into the UK and, like, so people are still, you know, kind of moving in and out, migrate, a lot of migration, even from, like, kind of different towns and cities in the UK. So, yeah, no, you're right. You're very right. Yeah. Uh, like, you know, I could have a classroom full of students and they could all be talking some with accents, some without, yeah. like, and they, yet yeah, they, you know, they're all from kind of the same area or they or like their parents. And I, I found out like a lot of the, quite a few of them, their parents said, you know, just 
moved here and I was like wow that's really interesting like why is that you know kind of like we're trying to find out what the reasons are between yeah. the reasons about migration and why people migrate especially to the UK and what have you been finding out well why do they come a lot of them it's for education it's for jobs mm-hmm. some of them said to me it was for a better lifestyle and I said to them what do you mean what yeah. do you mean by that because that you know that can encompass so many things and they said, oh, it's just better to live over here. Like, I think they just, they have this idea that, you know, once you live in England, it's almost like, it's like, oh, you, you know, that's better. That's already better just by living here. Um, You know, you don't have to, like, come and okay. do anything. And they just said it's a better lifestyle. And I said, okay, fine. But, yeah, the main thing was education and for jobs as well, either because yeah. they already had good jobs, but they could earn better money over here, or okay. because they couldn't find certain jobs in wherever they were from so they decided that to come over here was better they earn kind of I I guess we've got like our earning system is standardized as well so people kind of earn like specific amount of money for even um you know a part-time job like everybody earns like on a level the same amount whereas I guess in other countries that's not the way it works like people can decide what they want to pay you or whatever else so I guess in the way when they're saying a better lifestyle they're probably meaning they get they do get paid better even if it's yeah you know a blue collar job they still get paid better than they would do in the country that they're in but everything relative that's what I thought was interesting too because for us to come our dollar isn't as right. good so well and I, look I was there in 2006 so a long time ago now but for us, it was two and a half times. So, yeah, if I think it was like one Australian dollar was like 38 okay, yeah, something like that. That's not a very good exchange. No, <laughs> no, and that was at the time. So I'm sure it's different. But, no, it was challenging. It was really hard. So I remember saving all this money up to come to university and it just went down by a third yeah, when it got true. transferred so into the it's pound. It's that's what I mean. Because, like, yeah, you know, like, for example, I mean, I've been to Iceland, for example, and in Iceland, everything was so expensive. I'm like, oh, my God. Like, even, you know, right. getting just basic stuff is, like, super expensive. And I'm like, how? And then when I looked up, it was actually they earn so much more money, but it's actually relative yeah, because okay. the stuff that they have to buy is so expensive. That actually, yep. they'd probably be spending yep. the same amount as me, but because I, even yep. though I'm earning less, you know, but if I was to go and live in Iceland, I'd be earning more, but just to be spending more on <laughs> the same stuff from the yeah. economy. Yeah. So, yeah, it is all relative. But, yeah, the kids seem to think that, I mean, obviously this was all coming from them rather than their parents or whatever. So yeah. I don't know if they've just kind of assumed those different things. But, um, yeah, a lot of them it was for jobs and for, for education as well was the main kind of factor for them yeah. too. The other thing I wanted to ask you, since you were saying that you work in such a multicultural school with so many different backgrounds and different cultures and religions, how is it to teach RE? What kinds of things do you focus on? I think that's so fascinating. Yeah, um, we basically, what we try and do is we try and teach them what we call the major six. So yep. that would be um, the Abrahamic religions, so Christianity, Judaism and Islam. And then we also try and teach Hinduism. Buddhism and Sikhism but with with those three we have to teach those more in key stage three so in year seven eight and nine because at GCSE level at the examination level 
we have to teach only two religions. And because we have 60% Muslim students in our school, we teach Islam and Christianity. Yeah. One, because they're, well, they're both Abrahamic faith, so they do have a lot of links with one another. And two, because, well, so many of the students are Muslim that it wouldn't make sense to teach them Islam. Although saying that, it's actually quite hard to teach them Islam because a lot of them like go to mosque after school, like they'll go to mosque school like every single day for two hours or whatever it is. But they learn completely different things in, you know, compared to what we teach them, the academics of their religion. And that's very, very different to learning, I don't know, exactly how they have to pray or whatever else. I mean, that's, that's, completely different aspect or reading the the Quran in Arabic and be able, being able to recite it I mean we don't teach them things like that and yeah. um, we're teaching them the academia behind it and we often have to say to them listen you know we're not imams we're not we're not religious teachers we are teachers of religion there's yes. a difference yes and recently I've got a new head teacher and recently the new head teacher came in to observe a lesson and then afterwards he was asking one of the students about how, you know, as a Muslim student, does she find it challenging to learn about Islam? And um, I asked her afterwards, like, what did you say to the, you know, what did you say to him? Yeah. And she said, oh, and she was a really, she's a really, like, high-attaining student. She's going to get a really high grade in her GCSE, hopefully. And then she was like, Miss, I told him, as a Muslim student, I find it extremely challenging to learn about Islam because it is nothing like learning it, you know, at the mosque. And the things that we learn in class are completely different to things that they they know outside of school or they've been told by their parents or whatever else. So so that was nice to hear that actually they are they do find it, you know, a challenge. They do find it interesting and she said she found she finds it really interesting. She she actually finds out a lot about her own religion that she didn't know before. Yeah. Because obviously they focus in on certain things when they go to the mosque. They don't focus in on the overall, for example, or I don't know, the difference between Sunni and Shia Muslims and, you know, all these different kind of religious elements that they don't actually concentrate on outside of school. So yeah, it's, it's it's really interesting. I absolutely love teaching. I always learn something new. Like, yeah, I feel like I've been teaching it for so long, but I still don't know it inside out, which you know is good. That's good for me because I feel like I don't want to get complacent. Even the kind of Christianity aspect, which I've taught for years, I'm still like learning new things every day. So I love it. I love it. I love teaching Buddhism, Sikhism, and all of these like other religions as well. Um, not just the Abrahamic ones, because, you know, it gives an insight for the students that there are other religions, Christianity and Islam, which most of the students in the school are Muslim, and then the second would be Hindu. Okay. And then after that, it would probably be Sikh, and then Christian. I don't think that we've got many Christian students in the school overall. You know, when we're learning about Judaism, for example, we've got no Jewish students in the school. Okay. And they're, they're just fascinated because they're like, We've never ever heard of this before. Yeah. Like we've never heard this stuff. For me, it's so important that they know that there's loads of other cultures other than their own. And you know, like for me, like I grew up around loads of different religions and people and you know, I was brought up Christian, but I don't I wouldn't really call myself Christian right now. And yeah, I just think it's made me who I am, just to know all of these different people and kind of see all these different cultures and I just kinda of wanna give that to the students as well like make them 
kind of realise that it's more than their own, just exactly yeah. what they've grown up in their little bubbles. There's way more than that. Can I ask the journey between obviously being raised Christian, studying religion, and now not necessarily affiliating with any? Yeah, I would say I'm definitely more of an agnostic. Yeah. So I would say I'm I'm quite a spiritual person. Like I do believe there's some kind of higher power, but I'm not exactly sure if I want to affiliate specifically with a religion okay. to say that. Obviously, I lean way more. I lean way more to Christianity because yeah. that's how I was brought up. So for me, that's easy to lean towards that. And you know, if I kind of feel like I want to, you know, pray or whatever, I guess. I guess I pray to a Christian God because that's yeah. the only one that I know. I was brought up Christian, but not like super strict. And yeah, just kind of through the years, I think especially through studying uh, about religion, it's definitely made me question way more like absolutely yeah. everything and really made me kind of think to myself, what do I truly believe? I think I like to believe there's a higher power, but obviously you can never say yeah. for sure so that's really difficult and I, to be honest there's a part of me that thinks that that must make you a better teacher to not necessarily have a strong affinity like the fact that you can step back and look at all of it and look at it critically and through that academic I, lens yeah. I feel like that's important I think when teaching something so linked to us personally like a belief mm. yeah I think if yeah if you were really really strict on one yeah. side of something that would be very hard to teach religion because obviously you'd definitely yeah. be more biased towards a certain religion. Say I'm pretty unbiased when it comes to teaching religion. Like I don't think one's better than the other or anything like that. But yeah, no, it's interesting. The kids often ask me, oh, miss, what religion are you? And I just say, oh, listen, you know, I was brought up Greek Orthodox. Yeah. That's all I say to them. I'm like, oh, I was brought up Greek Orthodox, but now I just kind of, I flip between things. I'm just very, very vague about it. Like I never really speak to them about, you know, my beliefs because yeah. that doesn't matter. And actually I, I would prefer them to have their own opinion rather than my opinion yes. imparted on them about something. I believe so, that in all yeah. aspects of teaching almost. Like if you can take a step back and give yeah. them the tools to create and think critically, that is teaching to me. 100%. You, you, you know, a lot of it is giving them what they need rather than, you know, telling them what we yes. need. So, you know, it's kind of getting them to kind of work it out for themselves and finding a way to do that, which is difficult. But it obviously is. the main criteria of being a teacher, trying to get students to find out how, they, how they're going to do something and how they're going to get to kind yeah. of that end point. What do you think yeah. about equality in education over the UK? Do you think there is equality? No, I don't think there's equality. I feel like... Obviously, we've got like the private education system um, where people can pay for the education. So inevitably, they get a better quality of yeah. education already. Then we've got the grammar school system where students can take an entrance test to get into the school. And again, inevitably, they get a better quality of education because they're around other students that are all kind of I don't know, achieving at the same level as them or higher. So they're always kind of pushing themselves. And then you've got the state school system, which is where I work. I do work there on purpose. Like I, I chose to work for the state school system. That's where I went to school as well. And yeah, like from one school to another, it can vary so yeah. dramatically. And that is a massive shame because, you know, you'll get one kid that could be going down the road to a school 
another kid is going down the road to another school. Like even in my the area I work in, in my my school's really good school, but there's a school down the road that's just known to be yeah. absolutely terrible. And you know, I know a teacher that works there, and yeah, they told me loads of things about it. And I'm just like, wow. Compared to literally, I mean, there's like five yeah. minute walks down the road. So depending which school that student gets into depends on well obviously I know this is down to the student as well but I think a lot of it obviously does stem from what teachers you have and what what kind of education you have as well not just what you're like as a person and whether you're going to study for it you know it's really interesting you say that I was speaking to a grad teacher who's just come out of university so her first year and we were talking about the way schools are marketed so we have private schools or grammar schools here which are the ones that you pay highly for you then have independent schools which are generally associated with a religion and then state schools and the way they're marketed often is the state school shows kids sort of you know in their chairs smiling looking obedient and you have the private schools and mm-hmm. they're all playing sport or they're in a school play or they're traveling or something and the assumption there is that if you come to the state school yeah. we'll control them or they'll be under control um you don't have to worry about that yeah. and then they will learn because obviously they're you know in an obedient environment but then the private schools it's well the learning is assumed almost so what else are we going to do interesting conversation i was like yeah that is totally what it's like over here as well. Like, it, yeah. yeah, it's like in a private school, the education is assumed. Yeah, yeah. like it's going to happen. So let's do loads of other things. And you know what? That's the thing that pushes those students to do really, really well is because they've actually got so much, you know, extracurricular, you know, so much other stuff going on as well that they can talk about in their applications to university or that they can kind of like lean back on and yeah like that's why I'm often pushing the students like I don't work I work in the state school so I'm often saying to them like what are you guys doing at the weekend are you going out like are you going to central London and going to you know a museum or are you just like chilling literally at home because you know again if you're in a private school you probably wouldn't be doing that you're right you probably would be doing some kind of sporting activity or you know something else and yeah you get more chance to like go traveling doing whatever else and that's why it's so important to me to make sure that they have like lots of other things that they can do and I often tell them about you know like how I've traveled a lot like I I backpacked when I was younger and how it's like one of the best you know things that I ever done and how it just opened my mind up to lots of different things and just the world in general and I just want them to have a worldly kind of view of things rather than being like I said stuck in their own little bubble because some of them haven't even been out of London before like you know that then that's the reality you know it's it's really really difficult but yeah it's, it's exactly the same education is assumed yeah. in the private school system whereas it's kind of basically in the state school system it's like oh it might happen right. it might not but we'll, you know we'll do we'll do some other yeah. things if we can but the main thing is let's make sure that everyone like learns you know this stuff or whatever else um and it, which is a massive shame um but it's all yeah. to do with money those parents obviously can afford to pay however it's a, it's a ridiculous amount of money i mean we're talking upwards of what about 10 10,000 pounds per term I think, something like that and how many terms do you have a year three so I think it's it's upwards of about that because I know some teachers are like if they've worked in a private school, you know they can get a slight discount for yeah, their, their charge. Like, 
Yeah, I don't even think I would even be able to afford it with a discount, to be quite honest with you. Yeah. But, um, I mean, me and my husband talk about it as well. Like, would we want our kids to go to, not a private school, but a grammar school? Like, And we both went, we both went through the state school system. My husband's also a teacher as well. And we both want them to have the experience of being in a state school, but it's about finding the right one, yeah. you know, that, that's going to suit them. And there comes the other competition you know the competition for state schools people moving just to kind of get them into yeah, certain schools or whatever else. and I can totally understand it now having kids myself I get it you know you want them to have the best education you don't want to send them to a school that you think is not going to do you know do them well but it's really really difficult yeah that's a good question though what do you want for your kids in terms of education um what would you I like just, education yeah, to do I for them? I just want them to feel free to do whatever they want to do. Like, I want them to be able to be able to do what they want to do. So, like, be getting those skills from school so that they can be like, oh, I want to go and do this, and then they can go and do that. It doesn't have to be something academic necessarily. I mean, my husband's a PE teacher, so he's definitely pushing the kind of, like, sports side of things as well. And, and, and me too. Like, I do want them to be, in, like, getting into and stuff like that how up to date and how important do you think technology is and will be in education well I don't think it's very up to date at the moment in education and I think we that was really clear to see when we went into lockdown the first time in March okay so March to how long we went into lockdown for about three months I think it was and we were not in school we were working from home but it was oh god the technology was terrible like we were all using different platforms and teachers the kids didn't know like a lot of them didn't even know how to you know log on to certain platforms like educational platforms that they needed to use not you know the social media stuff which they obviously be able to use really easily and then when we went back to school like when we went back to school in that last few weeks before the summer holidays they kind of tried to quickly like cobble stuff together to make sure you know if we go back into a lockdown, you know, students know how to use like one platform. So like my school, like, okay, now we're going to use Microsoft Teams for everything, which is great when you say it, but actually like teachers haven't had any training in it. Students don't know how to use it still. So it's like basically 21 questions every day from, you know, like however many students to me to you know, and then I have to be like, well, I have to ask IT because I don't really, I don't really know the answer to this question. I can tell you about this or I can tell you about that, but I can't, like, we haven't had any training either. And actually, yeah. like, I'm lucky because my husband got really good training from his school on team. So he can show me loads of stuff. But other teachers that don't know other teachers that have training, like, how would they, it's really weird. It's like our school just expects us to know how to use it all and how to, like, track all these students. Uh-huh. And now, like, like, yeah. you know, the whole of England's gone back into a lockdown, except for schools. Oh, really? Well, yes, but the schools are exempt at the moment. But I know a lot of the unions are campaigning to have schools off as well, because if the whole country is in lockdown, why are schools exempt out of all things? Like, mm. I feel like it gave me a lot of anxiety because it made me think, like, I'm basically yeah. putting my life at risk every day. <laughs> to go to school when actually you know we've got all these things in place now to teach them online so why not actually you know utilize that and there are some schools in the country that are closing but not all like it's definitely 
not going to be everybody. But yeah, it's just, I, I would say technology is important. It's not essential in the classroom, but it's important for situations yeah. like what we're going through right now. Now, without yes. it, you know, there's there's no communication between students and the school and for months on end. You know, I didn't see those students for six months pretty much by the time we went back to school in yeah. September. Some of them, you know, hadn't been able to access anything. Six months. That's a long time. Yeah to not be in education and that's the other thing too it's, it's the inequity isn't it like how good's their wi-fi how good's their internet do they have laptops it's all these things that you know is then out of the school's hands i suppose once they're at home well yeah because the government were like oh well, we're going to give laptops to students that oh, okay. you know don't have them well it hasn't happened like this is all right. you know it's all lip service they're paying lip service to people but actually you know what it comes down to is you're right it's inequity these students don't have the money they don't have the wi-fi they don't have the laptops they don't have any of that kind of stuff yeah you know a lot of them they have a, they have a phone but they can't access certain things on the phone they can't do certain things on the phone that they need to or whatever else yeah it, it was outrageous like how that happened and and what happened and you know even when we went back to school they were like oh and um, we're going to give dongles out to students that have really bad wi-fi and that are, you know maybe can't afford it and then <laughs> they went through this whole rigmarole of asking like the students you know does your wi-fi work blah 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 yeah and then i got an email, like maybe a couple of weeks ago saying oh this was just for my year group because they're doing their exams so they were like oh we're going to make sure they've all got access and then they were like oh actually you know what we've only got the government have only given us i think it was like 15 or something 15 dongles what? you now need to pick the students that oh. really need it and I was like, well, that was pointless then going through yes. the whole thing about asking them who needs it. Because they all, you know, however many, I think it was like 50 students I had to choose out of wow. to give, you know, 15. So it's just, yeah, it's completely outrageous. And personally, the way I taught over lockdown and the way I would teach again if we went into lockdown is, you know, I would put all the stuff up there and help them as much as I can. But if they can't do it then they can't do it like I can't penalize them for it because there's you know that yeah of course there's students that completely just didn't do it because they didn't want to yeah. but there's a lot of students that didn't do it because they couldn't and they could not access it and they were getting extremely stressed out because they couldn't access it and but it's, it's pretty terrible I would say like the equality of technology in schools is pretty bad at the moment I don't know it's just been brought to light, really, with yeah. the lockdown situation because no yeah, one really knew before. You know, no one really kind of questioned it before or, or talked about it. And now, because it's needed, people are like, oh, no, we need to, you know, we need to make sure everyone has access to it. And it's like, okay, yeah, let's just try and do that for like hundreds of kids or yeah. thousands of kids in the country. But also, as you say, it's been happening the whole time anyway, right? Like, you know, you set assignments with the assumption that there is internet at home or you set research tasks to do with the assumption that they yeah. all have technology at their fingertips. And that's the other thing too. I mean, unless they're willing to tell you and there could be shame or guilt or a number of issues as to why yeah. you don't actually get told and this is now the point where you, you're going on a Teams meeting and they're not turning up and you're finally seeing for the first time why isn't that kid here? Maybe this has been a, an issue for years, potentially. Yeah, I mean, God, I've worked with kids that, you know, they they're electric, they don't have electricity for wow. however long. 
they can't afford to pay for it. I mean, like we, I worked in a, I work in a pretty deprived area. Like you know, yeah. there's sometimes they've got bigger things to worry about than yeah. whether they've got Wi-Fi or whether they've got you know. We did lend out some laptops, obviously, for kids, but again, we don't have hundreds of laptops to hand out to kids. It's just impossible. I can't see how the government are going to end up doing exams, but we'll see. We'll see what happens. <laughs> yeah. Well, we were. Well, I'm in Melbourne, so we have just mm. come out of lockdowns. We've been on the yeah. longest lockdown in the world. Was it like three months? It was a long, a long time. time. It was. Well, we went in in March, and we came out yeah. for a month in June. And then we were locked down again. And then you went back yeah, in. Yeah, we've been yeah. locked down since the whole time. And, yeah, again, I think it was like three weeks they came out of remote learning. It was a similar situation to you guys in that last week of the term, they shut the schools down the Tuesday when they were supposed to finish on the Thursday, but nothing was definitive was said. And then the last kind of weekend before the term started, they said, no, you're not going back. And so everyone right, scrambling. Yeah. I mean, I think some schools probably preempted that. I wasn't teaching at the time. I've been on maternity leave. So I think some schools did better than others. But I know that it's been very challenging. And even I, I came back and was teaching remotely for two or three weeks. And my expectations of what would happen in a normal class were just ridiculous. Oh, and I got into I, I felt so bad for the kids. I had a parent email me and say this is outrageous. And I was like, whoa, okay. I, as I said, I had an expectation in terms of what would happen in a classroom and what's achievable. And it is absolutely not achievable remotely. No, I mean, don't get me started on how they're treating teachers as well. It's just like, it's just terrible. Um, the, that's why I have to say, like, my viewpoint is I, I mean, I'm quite a laid back person anyway, yeah. just in general. But I would say I just do what I can do. Yeah. And then I just have to leave leave it alone. So, like, when I see, like, even on Instagram, when I see, like, loads of, you know, teachers being like, oh, like, I'm really stressed out. Like, I've got to do this. I've got to do this marking over my break. And I've got to do... I'm like, listen, I over my break, I'm going to take it as a complete and utter break. Yeah. So this has been so, like, so, so difficult. The last eight weeks have been, like, so hard. Like, you need that break. You need that rest and recuperation. And even over when we were in lockdown and we were teaching from home, I was just like, no, I'm going to put the stuff on the system. And I'm going to do what I can do. And that's all I'm going to do. Because I'm I'm literally, I'm not going to stress myself out. It's already really mentally draining being in a lockdown. And I don't think schools, senior leadership have taken well-being into consideration. Certainly for my school anyway. Obviously, I can only speak for my school. I met up with some other teacher friends the other day from other schools and they said that their well-being has been really, really good. Oh. So I'm hoping that it's like that for more the majority over, you know, the minority. Yeah. In my case, they have literally thrown well-being out of the window oh. and pretty much said you have to teach exactly as if you were teaching in school. But that's impossible yeah. because you're not in school and you haven't got the kids physically yeah. there. So it's it's impossible yeah I think that was a learning curve and as I said I came in on the last end of it and my right, colleagues well. were just like oh Laura because I was like oh, I was doing this I'm like oh no because they'd had three or four months of this by this point oh, and yeah, like, yeah. No, you can't do that that is like it takes them 20 minutes to log on sometimes you know you you ask them a question and they're not yeah. even at their screens half the time they've gone to the toilet you've got no idea you know I see it's funny I'm sure you, I actually think you might have posted it at one point it's that idea of um remote learning yeah. being like a seance yeah, and Maria, yeah, you know, yeah. it's, you, it's literally else? like that it's, <laughs> you know, like, yeah. 
it sounds so ridiculous, but you know. And no, so can look, you hear me? Oh, yeah, okay, yeah. you can hear me. Okay, well, I'll keep going then. Oh, can, do you need to ask the question? You know, it's, just like, <laughs> it's the same thing over and over again. So what yeah. I ended up doing, which I would do again now, is like teaching for 20 minutes, let's say, and then I'd be like, right, okay, off you go. Yeah. You need to go and do this, this, and this now. Um, and whether they do it or not, again, like, yeah. I don't know. It's, it's one of those yeah, things you like you can only monitor so much uh, being totally online. What are some of the biggest lessons that you've ever learned? Ooh, that's a hard question. What is. is teaching, you mean? Anything. It could be academic. It could oh. be teaching. It could be life. It could be however you like to interpret that question. Don't take things at face value. So try to dig deep, try to dig deeper into a situation. Mm-hmm. Feel like that that could be being judgmental about somebody, or that could be about even just learning, just in general. Like, yeah, I always used to say, like, oh, I'm so rubbish at maths, and just like taking it on face value, like, oh, maths is so bad for me, and whatever else. But actually, you know, if I, d- you know, dig a little bit deeper and actually kind of looking, I'm not that bad, but it's just. I feel like I am or you know if you feel like somebody's certain type of way like even when we were talking before about teenagers you know um don't take them at face value like if they've just had an angry outburst um and you don't even have an interest in kind of finding out where that's come from then that's kind of you know not going to help you out and it's taking it as what it is and you're kind of going with that and actually that's probably not the reason so I would say that's probably one of the biggest life lessons I've learned that's a good one the last thing I would like to ask you is what are your hopes for education in the future oh man I have so many hopes (laughs) (laughs) I hope (laughs) I hope that education gives every single student an equal chance to do what they would like to do that is my biggest hope and I hope that I can enable students that did not maybe believe that they could do certain things to believe that they can achieve, they can do what they want to do and they don't have to follow a specific path that, I don't know, they have in mind, their parents have in mind or whatever yeah. else, that actually they need to kind of find their own path. Yes. But yeah, that's, that's probably my biggest hope. I love that so much. Oh, thanks. <laughs> Thank you so much for being here. And I shouldn't say this, but I know you said you're a little bit nervous. And look how well you did. <laughs> I feel like I've still got anxiety right now. <laughs> no, you did so well. You did. I literally scrapped half my questions. I was so excited, and I was so into what you were saying that I just ran with it. You're amazing. Oh, I'm so sorry, it's so late over there, though. <laughs> oh, good.